You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Well, good morning. Like John said, my name is Josh. There's a couple of you guys I haven't been able to meet yet. And so uh, I'd love to be able to do that after the service. Uh, I'm one of the teaching elders here at Red Sea, along with uh, Royce. Um, and we're going through a series uh, in the book of Genesis. Uh, so uh, we're going to start out here. I'm going to have two kids come up. Um, uh, Josiah is over there. Josiah, come up. Maddie, you can come up. I want to make this fairly even, trying to, in the age group that I choose from here. Uh, and uh, I'm going to have them play Jenga. If you guys don't know the concept of Jenga... Um, the idea is to take blocks out and keep stacking the tower up taller until someone causes the tower to fall down. So there's a certain amount of, you got to be careful. So you guys go ahead and start, um, whoever wants to go first, and I'm going to start talking. This is going to be a big challenge for you guys as a, as a congregation to pay attention to me while someone's playing a game, but I trust you guys can do it. Uh, Landon, a minute ago, as he was walking out, I was setting this up, and he goes, what are you guys doing with Jenga? And I was like, we play board games every week when you're downstairs. <laughs> So he has like a whole new motivation to stay up here uh, with, the, with the kids. Um, so today we're actually going to be wrapping up our, uh, our series in the book of Genesis. And we decided to break down Genesis in a couple of different sections uh, with, with themes. So the first section was basically Genesis 1 through uh, 11. Uh, so what we're going to do, we're going to wrap that up today and then starting in the beginning of November, uh, we're going to start a series on the solas of the Reformation. So I'm excited about doing that. I uh, have some history and also what was the significance of the Protestant Reformation. We celebrate the 500th year of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, no one's paying attention to me right now. I'm kidding. We, we celebrate the 500th year of the Re- Reformation coming up uh, this Halloween. So we want to then follow that up with a series on it. During December, we're going to do our, our pretty typical Advent series that we do. And then back uh, in the beginning of the year, we'll pick back up where we left off in Genesis in Genesis uh, chapter 12. So when we decided to start this series, uh, Royce and I wanted to do the first 11 chapters of Genesis. There's a ton of different directions that you could go with, uh, with the beginning of Genesis because it's just so foundational. There's such big key concepts at the beginning of, uh, of the Bible. We decided to try to leverage the first 11 chapters and look at them from a, an apologetic standpoint of why do we believe what we believe as Christians, uh, what, what is the foundation for our Christian worldview? And on the other side, we spent quite a bit of time looking at the kind of the world's objections with a Christian worldview and kind of wrestling through some of those, uh, some of those concepts. And I hope it was real helpful. I know for me, I feel like it's been very encouraging for me. I know more clearly who God is and what he's done and what he's called me to do and us to do being created in his image and the role of sin and brokenness. And, and I think some of these series were just so providential when we talked about sin and suffering in light of all the things that are going on. Uh, in, our, in, our, in our world and uh, in, in our culture. Uh, so last week, we ended off in chapter 9 of Genesis. Today, we're going to cover chapters 10 and 11. And what we saw last week was Noah, he came off of the ark with his family, three sons and all of the animals, and God covenanted, he, he basically renewed a covenant with humanity, really similar that he had done with Adam in the Garden of Eden. And that covenant was a binding agreement between God and, and between humanity, representing Noah and his kids. And the sign of this covenant was the rainbow, right, that we still continue to see uh, today. And this 
story so far, including last week and this week, follows the pattern of creation, fall, redemption, restoration that I was talking to you guys about in the last message that I did. So let's, let's think about this pattern real quick. I think it's really important to understanding how to read the book of Genesis. So Genesis starts off in the beginning with a creation, right? We have the beginning of God's story of creating Adam and Eve. Uh, automatically, uh, Genesis 1 and 2 covers the, the creation, God's covenanting with Adam and Eve. What we see in Genesis chapter 3 is the fall, right? Adam and Eve, rebellion against God. There's consequences for the fall. That's followed by the effects of the fall in Genesis chapter 4. That's why the author includes the story of Cain and Abel. He's trying to make a point of this is what life is like outside of the fall. And then we had a genealogy, right? We had the genealogy of Cain. Here's the effects of Cain's lineage and, uh, and the story. But once again, if the pattern's going to start all over, if we have creation fall, there's going to be a redemption and a restoration for God to restart the story. So we see God covenanting again, renewing the story with Adam and Eve. He gives them Seth. And once again, we have this lineage in the Bible, the genealogy of Seth's line. And things are looking pretty good for a while. But then in the pattern, what we would see again is a fall, right? We're about to have a fall here, aren't we? <laughs> right at the table. So there's a, there's a fall, and that is what we see in the beginning of chapter 6 with kind of life right before the flood. You remember the phrase, the intention, the, every intention of a man's heart was evil continually, right? Sin was so ingrained inside of humanity and their rebellion against God. So there's a consequence of that fall in the flood, but then the pattern starts over and over, over again. God is going to redeem and restore. So he chooses Noah. Through Noah, builds the ark. He saves humanity through Noah. Noah gets off the ark. And we see the story start all over again. There's another creation. There's another covenant with with Noah. Immediately, and we didn't cover this last week because Royce didn't have enough time. In the second part of chapter 9, there's a fall. And it happens between Noah and one of his sons, uh, um, Shem. Okay? So then what we should have in the pattern, if it's going to continue going the way it is, after the creation of the fall, there should be some type of a genealogy that unpacks the effects of that fall. And this is what we have starting in verse 10, in chapter 10 of Genesis, okay? So we've got another genealogy that's going to start up. It's going to be another uh, part of the uh, redemption, restoration cycle that God is going through. So then chapter 10 of Genesis begins with a genealogy of Noah's sons. Ooh, that's a tough one. I, yeah, you're going you're gonna to eat it. Oh, good job. No, this is entertaining, man. <laughs> Nobody's paying attention to me anyway. We might as well just sit here and watch the tower wobble. Uh, okay. Oh, it's down. Okay. Okay, here's what I want. No, don't go anywhere. Here's what I want you guys to do. I want you guys to set it up again. So you remember how to set it up? You don't get to tell him. Shh. And so you guys set up the, reset up the tower. It's three blocks each way and try to make it as, uh, as straight as you possibly can. So we'll do it. Do it right there. Okay, so here's what we have at the beginning of chapter 10 is uh, Noah comes off the ark and the, the scripture, the text is going to, to kind of set the stage for where do all the characters of the Old Testament come from? 
That's the whole point of chapter 10 in Genesis. If, if we're going to have this story of Abraham and Israel, who are the people that Israel is going to fight against? Uh, where is the promised land? All of this stuff, it all comes out of Genesis uh, chapter 10. So first in chapter 10, what we see is Japheth, one of Noah's sons. And the lineage says, the genealogy says, here's the lineage of, uh, of Japheth. Well, it doesn't say a whole lot about Japheth. All it really tells us about him is that his um, ancestors settle along the Mediterranean and along the coastline, and they settle the islands of the Mediterranean. That's all we find out about Japheth. I like to think that because they settled on the coastline and they were island people, they were probably also good shipbuilders. And they were the ones that wound up settling much of the rest of the world, especially the Americas, when you see the the Native Americans here uh, in in North America. I like to think that a lot of these people came out of the line of Japheth, but the Bible doesn't tell us because that's not the point of the Bible. It's not a story about where everybody came from. It's a very specific story about something that God is doing. What the text spends the majority of the time talking about is actually the descendants of Ham. Ham is another one of Noah's sons. So if you read the second part of chapter 9 of Genesis, okay, you guys are ready for me? Uh, if you read the second part of, uh, of Genesis in chapter 9, uh, there's this really interesting story that happens between Noah and one of his sons uh, named Ham. I'm going to just look forward. Can you see out of that? Yeah, no. You sure? Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> you mean a little out of the bottom? How about now? Can't see now. Uh, so what happens is Noah gets off the ark, uh, makes himself a winery, makes himself a vineyard, uh, gets drunk, and passes out in a cave naked. It's not one of those stories we tell in Sunday school a whole lot, but that's what happens in Genesis chapter 9. Uh, his youngest son, Ham, sees him naked and does something inappropriate. We don't exactly know what that is because the Bible doesn't tell us in detail. Uh, but we do know in the story that uh, Noah, the other sons uh, know about it. They tell their father, and Noah curses his son, Ham. Okay? So in... Can you see a Josiah? Can you breathe? How's that? So Noah curses his son, Ham. And so Ham and his descendants are going to be the antagonist of the story of the Bible throughout the rest of the story, okay? All of the people in the Old Testament, are you guys ready? Can you see? I'm going to pull it down a little bit so you can't see. Okay. You can't see at all. Okay, who wants to go first? Maddie. <laughs> that was nice of you to volunteer, Maddie. Thank you. Okay, Maddie, you got to go first. See if you can get one of these blocks out of here. Oh, I know that's kind of, kind of the point. So, like I said, chapter 10, the largest genealogy in chapter 10 is the descendants of Ham. And it doesn't have great things to say about Ham. Uh, It does tell us that Ham's descendants are basically the enemies of Israel throughout the rest of the Old Testament. So Ham's descendants are going to be where we get the Egyptians from. It's where the Babylonians come from. It's where the Philistines come from. And it's where it even... The author even takes the time to connect Sodom and Gomorrah to, uh, to Ham's descendants. So he's making a point. These are where kind of all the enemies of Israel, the, the antagonists, those who are opposed to the ways of God come from, okay? Finally, after that, we have the last descendant of, um, of Noah. I'm sorry, the last son of Noah, which is Shem. Now, Shem's descendants is where you're going to get the line 
of Abraham. And Abraham's going to play a very significant role in the one that God covenants with to make a people that we're going to hear about the rest of the Old Testament. So the whole point of chapter 10, uh, the the whole point of chapter 10, I know it's hard to build a tower when you're when you can't see, isn't it? You just keep looking. There you go. Uh, The whole point of the the second part of chapter 10 is to set up the stage uh, for where the story picks back up in chapter 12 with Abraham, okay? So the reason the author includes the genealogies is because he's trying to set the stage for the Old Testament and all that's going to happen in the Old Testament. Does that make sense? That's how we get, that's why those particular stories are there. That's why they tell about particular characters in the Bible, because an author has a point, and we always need to read the scriptures trying to understand, what's he trying to say? He's trying to build up the story. He's trying to lay the foundation for what we're going to see in the rest of the Old Testament, okay? But right in the middle of this genealogy, really unexpectedly, we have a section of narrative. So anytime there's narrative in the Bible that's sandwiched by non-narrative, in this case a genealogy, it's there for a reason. This particular story, and it's the story of the Tower of Babel. I know we call it Babel, but in the Hebrew it's actually, it's actually Babel, story, story of the Tower of Babel. And so then what we're going to do this morning is actually look at that story. It's only nine verses. It's not a whole lot Uh, a whole lot of narrative, but there's a really important story that it's there. And remember in the cycle, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. There's been a creation in God's covenant with Noah and his kids. There's been a fall in what happened with Noah and his son Ham. Now we should see the effects of the fall if the story sticks with itself. Adam and Eve rebel, effects of the fall, exodus from the Garden of Eden, Cain and Abel's rebellion, effects from the fall, the lineage of Cain. Um, uh, God covenants with humanity. There's a fall once again with, with the, the people that lived during the time of Noah, right? And we're going to see this all over again. God covenants with Noah. There's going to be a fall, and the fall is going to be captured in the story of the Tower, the tower of Babel. <laughs> that was awesome. No, nope. You got to turn it sideways. Nope. Oh, that's awesome. That's just, no, you had it. Oh, you guys, this is lasting like way longer than I thought it would. I'm a, <laughs> guys, okay, Josiah, it's your turn. Oh, 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 wow. Good job, guys. Okay, you guys can have a seat. So, real quick, was it harder the first or the second time? The second time. Yeah, obviously it was a whole lot harder. Thanks, Matt. You don't have to set them back up. We'll just leave them right there. You got, give, give these guys a hand. They did a good job. So, what we're going to do is we're going to read the story of the, the Tower of Babel here. Uh, because something real similar happens is these people get together and they try to build a tower. And God's going to come and he's going to intervene in their tower building. It's going to make it a lot harder to build their tower, which is what I tried to do uh, with, these, uh, with these two kids here. Uh, it's kind of a, a visual aid. Uh, what we're not going to do is stand up and read through the whole passage of Scripture because it's one of those that needs a lot of explaining. So I'm just going to teach as, as we walk through the passage of Scripture. But I do want to invite you guys just to pray with me one more time before we get started. Uh, Father, uh, thank you uh, for your word. I thank you that it does uh, speak to us. It is alive and active. 
Uh, And so today, as we open up your word and we study an ancient story, would it not just be an ancient story? Uh, But would would your word come alive in our lives and our hearts? If there's areas of repentance uh, that uh, it would lead us to, um, areas of faith and obedience, uh, we would ask that you do that through your word. Ask the name of Jesus. Amen. So the story starts off here in Genesis chapter 11. Verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, it's up here on the screens if you guys don't have a Bible. It says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. Now, if you read chapter 10, um, and then you try to read chapter 11 chronologically, it doesn't make sense. Because one of the phrases that you see at each of the end of the sections of genealogy is a phrase like, um, the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, their nations. So it reads like the different sons of Noah and their descendants had all different languages and all different lands, if you try to read it chronologically. But the story of the Tower of Babel takes place at some point in the genealogy in chapter 10. Uh, there's even one descendant of Shem that says, and this is when the earth was divided. They, I think that's what this is actually talking about, but the Bible's a little vague, so we don't know. But we have to read it, not chronologically, but the Tower of Babel happened at some point during this genealogy. Verse 2, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and um, bitumen for mortar. Uh, archaeologists believe that they've found the location of the, the Tower of Babel. I can put it up here on a map. Uh, it's in modern-day Iraq, Iraq. They even found a structure that they're thinking, but it's not labeled, and at this point it would be, you know, 5,000 years old, so it'd be kind of hard to hard to label it, but they have a pretty good idea that this was the general area of, uh, of the tower. There's even a, a Mesopotamian tablet that's kind of circulating, circulating out there. I think the Smithsonian has it right now. That's actually uh, a depiction of what the tower looked like, and it has the label on it, the Tower of Babel. Uh, it's not actually from the tower necessarily. It's more of a, uh, of a marker of history. So I, re- I bring that up. There's not as much argument over whether or not the tower existed. It's not a stretch to imagine that an ancient group of people would build a tower, right, uh, to themselves or to a particular God. That's not hard in the story to understand. What's hard in the story for modern day readers to understand is the supernatural part of the story, which starts to pick up here in verse 4. It says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. This is the key part. Verse 4 is the key part of understanding this chapter in Genesis. Let us build a a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let let us make a name for ourselves so that we will not be dispersed over the face of the earth. Well, what's the problem with that? God commanded them to be dispersed over the face of the earth. He did that with Adam. He did that with Uh, Seth, he did that with Noah's descendants. They get off the ark, and he says, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Instead, the people decide to stay in one place, and they decide to build this tower to make a name for themselves. So they are being covenantally disobedient to the commands of God. And they are not oblivious to this disobedience. They are arrogantly and in autonomously rejecting God. 
This would make sense in the pattern, right? Adam and Eve, autonomous, willful rejection of God in the Garden of Eden. We know this is your word, but we don't want that. We want our, our word. So we're going to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Cain, rejection of God and his ways. God doesn't accept his offering. Cain rejects God and kills Abel. The people before the flood, they didn't want to live under the sovereignty of God. Every intention of a man's heart was evil continually. And then once again, we see it with uh, Noah and, and Ham and his disobedience to his father and rejection of God's ways. And then we see it with these people here again. There is this autonomy that is ingrained in humanity. And we have inherited that same sinful autonomy as the characters in the story. We know the ways of God. It is very plain to us, even if you're not a a follower of God. Uh, Romans 1.21 says this for us. Paul, at the beginning of unpacking his theology on on salvation through grace and grace alone, he says in Romans 1.21, For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. We have that same autonomy apart from God. We continue to want to try to make something of ourselves outside of God. Now, the thing is, what they were actually doing in the tower building in and of itself wasn't a bad thing, right? I mean, when you look at building a tower, God had made them in his image. He had created them unique among all the other creation. They were the only ones that could really build a tower out of his creation. And they're using that creative, image-bearing gift to build. So the building wasn't the problem. The problem was the autonomy of the builders, right? On these blocks, I've written all types of different words. There's my education, my possessions, my retirement, my family, my money, my, where I find my security, my achievements, my abilities, my safety, sports, grades, success, relationships. All of these things in and of themselves are not bad things. The problem is when we look to these things to give us safety and significance, they can become idols to our own self-value and our own self-worth. Because that was the two things that people really wanted in the story, wasn't it? They wanted safety. They're like, if we go out there and go all over the face of the earth, there's no idea what may happen to us. We don't know what's out there, so we'll just stay here together. But God said, no, I want you to cover the whole earth. And so they wanted safety. And God created them in his image and and, and giving them value and worth, but it wasn't enough for them. They had to make a tower to build it up to themselves, to make a name for themselves. So this is where it really starts to hit home for us. When you look at your day-to-day life, how many of the things that we do on a daily basis, the relationships that we have, money, time, finances, how much of those things are we using to give us safety and significance, just like the characters in the story? Are we building a tower to our own glory? Now, the challenge with knowing whether we are or not is we live in a culture that praises tower building, okay? 
a part of our uh, present 21st century idea of, of, uh, of what it means to be successful is to be your own person. You have to make something of yourself. You have to be the master of your own domain. You have to write your own story. You have to make your own destiny. This is a cultural narrative. That narrative is constantly being, being pounded into our ears. And so we, we live in this time between a world that's telling us, no, you have to make something of yourself, and a God that's telling us, no, I'm going to make something of you. And we're always being pulled in those different directions. Well, what if you're not the author of the story? What if the story's actually been written by somebody else and you're just an actor inside of the story? When you start playing author, you start playing God. So how do we know whether these things in and of themselves are actually leading us toward God or these things are leading us away from God? By asking ourselves, do these things give you safety and significance? And you'll know whether or not stuff gives you safety or significance by if you're willing to be obedient to how God tells you to use the stuff. Let's unpack that. Think about finances. Think about money. Is money a good thing? Yes. Is, is money given to us by God? Yes. It is. But God has very specific commands about how to use money, okay? Over and over and over again throughout the Scriptures about being generous. And if you take money and you're not generous with God's money, then it's, and you start building a tower of safety and significance using this money to build up your 401k, to, to buy yourself a nice home, to enjoy all the things of life, yet you're being disobedient with your money toward how God tells you to use your money, that all you're doing is just tower building. Let's think about relationships. Relationships are good. My wife, my kids, girlfriends, boyfriends, those are, those are, are great things. They're God-given things. But God tells us very specifically about how we're to treat other people in relationship with them, that we're not supposed to use other people just to gain something from them. God also talks a lot about the, the type of people that we're supposed to hang around, the people that we're supposed to surround ourselves, we're supposed to make disciples with. But how many times do we take relationships and use them as a safety net to not actually have to go and engage with people that we don't want to? So see, we can use relationships to build a tower. Your relationships and my relationships can be safety and significance outside of the will of God. How about our jobs? Can your job bring you safety and significance? Yeah. I mean, we come into this church and we sing these songs about being a child of God, and that's where we find our worth, and that's where we find our meeting. Yet, we leave this place and we can't stop working, and we overwork. Why? Because it gives me safety and significance. And God wants to give you those things. And we, are, we can daily rob God of His sovereign provision on our lives because we're not willing to just be obedient and do it the way He calls us to do it. Hey, kids, when you're in school, you are constantly going to have friends that are going to call you to do things that are very different from what God calls you to do, okay? 
And if you choose to listen to those, kid, those friends of yours over God, it's because those friends give you safety and significance. But if you choose to listen to God in his ways, it's because God gives you safety and significance. Hey, parents, <laughs> when you have people in your life that are trying to call you away from the ways of God and you listen to them, it's because those people give you safety and significance. Well, now all of a sudden, this isn't an ancient problem. This is a problem that all of us continually deal with. Where do we find our safety and significance? And the ultimate irony of the story is they were already so safe and so significant because they were right where God wanted them. Being made in His image, getting to live in His creation, getting to go out to whatever He called them to go to, but they just couldn't trust Him. And that's the hardest part of just like stepping out in faith and trusting that God's going to provide. And I don't know what's going on in you guys' life right now, but I guarantee you there's some act of obedience that God's calling you to, and it's typically pretty hard. That's where this whole faith thing comes in, right? It's a step of obedience, trusting that this is not a safe decision, but it's an obedient decision, so I trust that God's going to be there with me. Now, there are times, like in our story, where God will come in and wreck our worlds because He wants to lead us to obedience. I believe what God did in the story when He came in, and He changed the languages of the the people. A a lot of times we'll look at that and say, well, that's kind of mean of God. You know, why they were all together. Why would He go in and separate them? Because God cares more about His good, righteous plan for your life than this American dream thing that you've set up for your life. And there are times when God will literally come and knock down our towers because He has something better for us. God will wreck your dream so that you will dream the way that He dreams, especially when we're living disobediently to God. And we've processed through that a lot in the book of Genesis. I truly believe God in His grace will come and will undermine our hopes and dreams because He has a better dream for us to dream. We need to start looking at life that way. This is what God does in the story. Look at it here in verse 5. It says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. I, I love this part because it's the relational nature of God. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, as soon as they sin, God comes to them, doesn't he? Cain, as soon as he kills his brother Abel, God's there. God comes to Noah. And God comes to these people in love and, and messes up their world so that they will go out and be obedient. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and, and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. I love the Trinitarian language here. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. I love that line there. And nothing they will do will be impossible for them. This isn't God throwing his hands up in the air in frustration. 
It wasn't that God thought the flood had solved this problem, and now they find themselves back in this, in this same process of, of being rebellious. But once again, it's just like the Garden of Eden, where he said to Adam, he has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And just as God removed Adam from the garden so he wouldn't live eternally sinful, that was why God removed Adam from the Garden of Eden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was there, but the tree of life was also there. And God said, now you know good and evil. You know that I'm good and you're evil, and you're going to have to spend eternity separated from me if you stay here eating of the tree of life. So out of my grace, I'm going to kick you out of the garden. The same thing with the Tower of Babel. Out of my grace, I'm going to wreck your world and your dream because I have a better dream for you to dream. That's hard, you know? I think think sometimes God removes our safety net so that he can catch us when we fall. Sometimes he allows us to get sick so that we can learn to lean on him in the midst of that. Sometimes he takes away our finances. Sometimes we lose jobs. And, and I believe in the story it was because of disobedience. And I, and I do believe God, as a, as a good parent, will discipline his kids when we are disobedient, out of love. But then sometimes God just knows, he can just see the direction that you're going, and he says, I have another direction for you. I have another plan for you. So we come to this time in our service where uh, we get to respond to Jesus. The dispersion of these people wasn't the, the end of the story. It was actually the beginning of a whole new story that has such a, 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 such a, a greater ending. Because these people are going to spread out. They're going to go all over the earth. And then in the beginning of chapter 12, God's going to come to this descendant of Shem, man named Abram. He's going to come to Abram, and he's going to say, Abram, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people, and we are going to create a nation that is going to represent to all of these other peoples, all the other descendants, what it means to to be my people. And I'm going to come, and I'm going to live with you. I'm going to have the law and the sacrificial system that will allow me to live with you. And the story, for a while, it actually looks kind of cool. looks like things are going well. But what happens? Once again, the people are going to want to be autonomous. They're going to want to rebel from God as their creator. God who dwells with them, instead, they're going to go and they're going to search for significance in their own righteous works. But God in His grace, He's going to come to them again. And this time, He's going to wrap Himself in flesh. And He's going to come as Jesus Christ. And He's going to live a righteous life, not building a tower to His own glory. He's going to die a a righteous death to pay the rebellion of all of our tower building year from the past to the future. And then he's going to make a new covenant with his people, with us, a covenant of grace where it doesn't matter how many towers we've built. It doesn't matter where we find our, our significance and our safety. We can come and we can repent and have faith in Jesus Christ and then live in obedience. That is what communion is meant to do. It's, it's meant to be a celebration of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So I'm going to have some guys that come up here, and they're going to be spreading out these blocks on the table. I want you guys, when you come to take communion, or come to receive communion, you guys can come on up. When you come to receive communion, 
I want you guys to, to take the bread, dip it in the, in, the, in the juice of the wine. Remember the grace of God, the grace that's been given to you through Jesus Christ. But then maybe choose one of these blocks because that thing that is written on the block is where you find your safety and your significance. And then take it back and put it someplace in a prominent location where you can look at it and say, you know what, I'm not going to choose that thing over God. Maybe whatever that thing is, you need to repent of while you're at the communion tables. I want to encourage you guys to do that now. So we're going to have a time of responding to God through communion, a time of worship and reflection on who God is. I want to invite you guys to come and, uh, and grab one of those blocks. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you for this uh, uh, amazing story that happened so many uh, thousands of years ago. But it's a story that's still so true today. God, you created us, and, and your will for us is the best that we could possibly receive in life, and your way is the best way because you're the creator, yet we continually fight against your ways, and we justify not being obedient to your ways. So we just want to repent of that. We want to repent of all these things that we look to to give us safety and significance because you're the only thing that really provides any safety in this life. My finances could end. My home could go away. My family could go away. My job could go away. My health could go away. My body could go away. But you remain the same. And so as these things fade, would our worship just grow louder because you're the place where we find safety and significance? We would ask that, that you would be with us as we continue to walk this journey of sanctification and obedience to you. We would ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.